Well, we're beginning a new message series called Extravagant Grace, and I want to thank Rebecca for designing our series slides. So, what is grace? Well, one definition of grace is that it's God's unmerited favor. And one of the ways I've seen it explained is, is looking at it this way. Justice is, is getting what we deserve. And so as sinners, we all deserve eternal death for our sin. That would be justice. That's what we deserve. Mercy is being spared what we deserve. And so mercy is God forgiving us of our sins and not sending us to eternal hell, which is what we deserve. Grace, then, is being given what we do not deserve. Not only are we spared from the punishment of eternal death, we receive eternal life and all kinds of other blessings that we're going to talk about this morning in our relationship with God. That's what grace is all about. So our message this morning is entitled, Why Grace? Why Grace? Why do we need grace in our lives? Now, it's hard to talk about grace from a biblical perspective without talking about the law. The law consists of God's commands summarized in the Old Testament in the Ten Commandments, the things that we should not do, the things that we should obey. And there's a lot of false teaching around in the world today, and it's been for centuries, about law and grace, and they tend to go to one extreme or the other. For example, there's false teaching about the law. It says that you are saved by doing good things. If you do enough good things, if the good that you do outweighs the bad that you do, then God will accept you, he'll save you, and he'll send you to heaven. That's a false teaching, and we'll talk about why that is. Romans 11, verse 6 says, For if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. The it there is salvation. If salvation is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. It's no longer on the things that we do. No matter how good we try to be, we're always going to be sinners. We're not going to be able to save ourselves by being good enough because nobody can live a perfect life. There are false teachings about grace as well. An extreme view that's becoming more popular is that God's grace will ultimately forgive everyone. That everyone will be forgiven. Uh, this view is called universalism, but the Bible clearly teaches that the majority of people will not be saved. Why? Because they have not believed in Jesus Christ. Because they have not asked Him to forgive their sins. Another extreme view of grace is that God's grace forgives all of your sins. Past present, and future. The problem here is the teaching that future sins are forgiven. If future sins are forgiven, there's no need for repentance. There's no need to live our lives free from sin if all our sins in the future have already been forgiven. And so that leads to the false teaching that once you are saved, you can live however you want, however you wish, and no sin can cause you to fall away. This view is often called Hypergrace. It's an extreme view of grace. 1 John 3, verse 6 says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. And so the Bible teaches us that when we repent of our sins, when we believe in Jesus as our Lord, we are saved by grace. And the fruit of that salvation will be that we obey God's word through God's grace and we do good works. And when we sin... And the Bible says, uh, if we sin, 
if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's a conditional promise. So when we sin, if we sin, we need to confess our sins and then he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now let's look at these truths about law and grace in a little more detail today. The law is insufficient to save us. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so this verse was written to the Galatian believers. They, they had been set free from trying to be saved by keeping the law. But now they were in danger of requiring certain Old Testament practices of the law in order to be saved. They were getting confused. And so if one seeks to be saved by keeping the law, this verse says it's bondage. The law can never be perfectly kept. You can never do that. The law is insufficient for salvation. And the Galatians' faith was, was being misplaced. Paul writes in verse 4, he says, You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And so these believers who were saved by grace now thought that keeping the law would justify them in God's eyes. And if a person begins to put their faith in their own goodness, this verse tells us, quite frankly, that their relationship with God is broken. They've fallen away from grace. So faith cannot be placed in the good works that we do in order to be saved. Faith in Christ alone is what saves us. Verse 5 says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, the problem that the Galatians had was they thought you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. In the Old Testament, circumcision was required of all Jews. But in the New Testament, the Bible teaches us that Circumcision was of no value for salvation. It, it didn't count for anything. You could be circumcised. You could be not circumcised. It had nothing to do with salvation. What was clear is that faith in Christ alone through God's Spirit is the only way to be saved. Now, today, the issues with the law that we face are different uh, than the Galatians fa faced. Uh, circumcision isn't a big issue today. But when one seeks to be saved by doing some type of good work, we call it legalism. Good works, in general, is a very common way that people think that they are saved. Many people think that good people go to heaven. Bad people don't. Now, if a person is trusting in their own good actions in order to be saved, then their faith is misplaced. Something that many people put their faith in is baptism. Uh, different kinds of baptism. Infant baptism or even believer's baptism. Now, water baptism is commanded for believers after you've believed. But it's not a requirement to be saved. Some people believe you have to go to church in order to be saved. Going to church doesn't save you. You can go to church all your life. Sit and hear a pastor Speak to you and still not be saved. You are saved simply by repenting of your sin, putting your faith in Jesus Christ. But if you are saved, you'll, you'll want to obey God's word. You want to fellowship with other believers. You want to worship together in a church family. And so we must simply remember 
and teach others that it's faith in Christ alone that brings salvation and a relationship with God. Now, this is not just a matter of theological interest. If a person trusts in anything other than Jesus for their salvation, they're not saved. And they are headed for an eternity in hell. The majority of Americans, 55%, believe that good works result in going to heaven. So the majority of Americans believe something that's false, something that's not in the Bible. And by believing this, they are not saved. Only 35% believe that a person goes to heaven through faith in Christ alone. And that leaves 10%. I don't know what they believe, but <laughs> those are the statistics. Most of the people then, many of the people that you know, depending on who you know, don't understand how to be saved. They're seeking to be good enough to go to heaven. So the law, keeping, uh, doing good things is insufficient for salvation, but God's grace is sufficient. John 1 says, And the word that speaking of Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so keeping the law never saved anyone down through the millennia. Even the Old Testament, people were saved by faith, not by keeping the law. Nobody could keep the law perfectly, and that's why God sent His only Son, Jesus, to this earth to bring God's grace and truth to us. Since we couldn't save ourselves through good works, we needed someone to pay the penalty for our sins so that God could forgive us. And that someone was Jesus who revealed God's grace to us. Verse 16 of John 1 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So here we see the distinction between the law and the grace of the new covenant through Jesus Christ. God's grace was fully revealed to us when Jesus came to this earth. He lived a sinless life, and thus he was able to die on the cross that our sins might be forgiven, and God raised him from the dead, showing that his sacrifice was accepted. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us that we might be saved. We didn't deserve this grace, but God in his mercy forgave us and opened up the opportunity for us to become children of God. Jesus then brings spiritual blessings into our lives. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so God's grace through Jesus brings us all kinds of spiritual blessings. They're blessings both in this life and in eternity. God's grace was revealed to us partly in the Old Testament but fully through Jesus in Jesus Christ. The greatest blessing, of course, is redemption. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And so God's grace has been lavished upon us as believers. That's why I call it extravagant grace. It's far beyond what we can really imagine. It's far beyond what we can really think. So let's just think a little bit more beyond salvation, what God's grace brings into our lives. And we could, we could talk all morning about this. But 
one of the greatest blessings that the grace of God brings to us is the, is the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. He guides us. He helps us to pray. He comforts us. He, he gives us joy. He gives us His peace. He gives us everything that we need in order to live the lives God created us to live. He helps us to defeat sin. He helps us to live a life of purpose, to follow God's plan for our lives. And how are we saved? We're saved through faith by God's grace. And in the same way, we receive these spiritual blessings that God has for us, not by trying to be good enough, but by faith. We receive every spiritual blessing that God has for us through faith by God's grace. The Bible is filled with all kinds of promises, hundreds of promises that hold spiritual blessings for us. And how do we receive those promises for our own lives? It's through faith. Just as we were saved, we receive God's blessings in our lives through faith. And so grace is received by faith. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be justified? Well, I explain it by saying justified means just as if I'd never sinned. When God forgives us, it's just as if we've never sinned. Our, our sins are erased. They are, they're wiped away. They are forgiven. God doesn't remember them anymore. When we were sinners, we were enemies of God. And now that we've been forgiven, now that we've been justified, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Grace gives us access to God. Verse 2 says, through him, that is Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So people that are not saved have no access to God. They have no relationship with God. But now through the sacrifice of Christ, we can have this access to God by faith and this access causes us, enables us to have a relationship with God, a relationship in which we can talk to God. We can pray to God and God hears our prayers. And he can speak back to us. The Bible speaks of us having confidence to come into God's presence. You see, in the Old Testament, you couldn't come into the presence of God. There was a veil that separated the people from the presence of God. But now we have access. The veil has been rent and we can come into the presence of God. And when we come into God's presence, it brings joy into our lives. No matter what we're going through, it brings hope into our lives through this access to the eternal God. Not only do we have access to God through prayer, but, but grace seats us in the heavenlies. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's a little hard to wrap our heads around, isn't it? The spiritual truth is that when we were lost, we were spiritually dead. We were dead men walking. But when a person is saved, they are born again. They are made spiritually alive. And spiritually, we are raised from the dead. Raised up as Jesus was raised up and seated in the heavenly places with him. 
Now, we're not there literally, but spiritually, that is our position as believers. One day we'll be literally with Jesus in the heavenlies, but today we are spiritually there. And when we can comprehend that truth where that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies even now by his grace, it can transform the way that we live our lives. We can live above our circumstances rather than underneath our circumstances when we understand that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Grace is God's gift to us. Two important verses in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so grace is a free gift. It's offered to everyone on the planet through Jesus Christ. He offers it to everyone. No one is accepted from this offering. Although it's offered to everyone, only those who open God's gift of grace receive its benefits. And we open that gift through faith. The benefit is salvation. If we were saved by the good things that we had done, then we'd have something to boast about. It's like, I did this, I did that, I did this good thing. But we're not saved by anything we have done. We are saved simply by faith in what Christ has already done for us. And so grace is God's gift received through faith alone. So as we go on in this series about extravagant grace, we're going to be talking more about the benefits of God's grace in our lives right here and now. Grace gives us the power to grow in our relationship with God through prayer. Grace makes available to us the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Grace gives us victory over sin. It gives us freedom to serve God in righteousness. Grace makes available to us the wisdom and guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In every situation. Grace gives us the power to be effective witnesses for Christ in our everyday lives. Grace strengthens our faith to believe God for every promise in God's word. And we could go on and on. How can we continue to receive the spiritual blessings of grace? It's. Just how we got saved in the first place, by faith. We believe in Jesus for salvation. We, through faith, believe in him to give us these spiritual blessings that he's promised to us. Not through our efforts, but through faith. And yes, as we follow Jesus as our Lord, we continue to obey him. We continue to follow his instructions. We don't earn his blessing, but we receive them through faith as we follow him. So why, why grace? Because there's no other way for people to be saved. It's the only way for our sins to be forgiven. Keeping the law, being good enough, doesn't save anybody. Jesus Christ came to reveal God's grace to us fully. We receive that grace through faith alone. And the vast majority of Americans don't understand that. In fact, the vast majority of people around the world don't understand that we are saved by grace. You don't get to heaven by doing good things. May God give us the grace to be a, a witness for him. Of his grace to those who need it around us. Now, As we said, in order to receive God's grace, you must become a believer in Jesus Christ. There are not multiple ways to be saved. It's only through faith in him that God 
can come into our lives and forgive our sins. And so to become a believer, we need to admit that we've sinned. We need to repent, turn away from that sin. Ask God to forgive us. Put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So three simple steps. We're going to pray a simple prayer. If you've never prayed this prayer before, I would encourage you to pray with me. Or perhaps you've wandered away from the faith and you'd like to recommit your life this morning, I'd encourage you to pray as well. We're going to bow our heads. I'm going to pray a prayer and I'd encourage you to pray along with me in your heart. God knows what you're saying. This is really the most important decision of your life. If you're not sure that you're a believer, if you're not sure that you would go to heaven when you died through your faith and relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd ask that you pray this prayer. I'd encourage you to pray this prayer this morning. Don't put it off. None of us knows what tomorrow may bring. If God is speaking to your heart this morning, if you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit to pray, I encourage you to pray with me. Pray something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. Things that I knew were wrong, I, I've done them. Things that I'm ashamed of. Things that I feel guilty for doing. And I ask for you to forgive me. I believe in Jesus. I put my trust in him to forgive my sins. I don't totally understand it, but I, I believe somehow he died on the cross. Paid the penalty for my sin that I might be forgiven. I believe he rose from the dead. And he's seated in heaven today. And I commit my life to following him as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for guiding me in your way. And for those of us who are believers today, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word about grace. We don't earn your grace. We simply must believe you to receive it as a free gift. We thank you for that grace. We pray that we would enter into more of that grace. Thank you for all the blessings that you make available to us by your grace. May we never take them for granted, but may we be thankful. May we receive everything that you have for us through faith. Each day, may we appropriate more of your blessings as we believe you for greater things in our lives. Open our minds, open our hearts to, to comprehend more of this extravagant grace that you've lavished upon us, that you make available to us in every area of our lives. We pray, God, that you give us divine opportunities to share your grace with those around us who don't understand it, who've never experienced it, who are simply trying to be good enough. God, we thank you for the privilege of supporting missionaries who are inviting people to your kingdom who are sharing your grace with people around the world in every country of the world. 
I pray, God, that you'd guide us regarding our faith mission, our mission's faith promise for 2020, for next Sunday. Thank you for what you've done through our church family, through our missions giving this past year, and the hundreds, if not thousands, of lives that have been impacted by our faithful giving to those who are doing mission work around the world. We look forward to what you're going to do in and through our church right here in St. Louis and around the world next year in 2020. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.